The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Welcome inside another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Again, I am the namesake. Thank you for joining us once again this week. This is Season 4, Episode 14. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. It's easier if you subscribe, so that way you don't have to go hunt it down yourself. It's already there wherever you find your podcasts. It is the week we've been waiting for. There are some epic matchups this week and some big games coming up on the horizon. We'll tell you about that. Plus, it's playoff off time in Ohio. There are some huge matchups on the horizon this week. We'll tell you about a couple of those. We'll talk to Chris Beck, the head coach of the Williamstown Yellow Jackets, and Ritchie County head coach Rick Hott. Tara Malone shares his thoughts on some of the games of the week in this area. But first, it is playoff time in Ohio. River defeated Frontier 56-13 to earn the number 7 seed in Division 7 Region 27, and that got them a home game. Remember this year in the Ohio playoffs per region, there are now 16 teams that get in instead of 8. So previously, this would have been a game that knocked one of the two teams out of the playoffs. Instead, it only sent Frontier on the road. We'll get to the Cougars more in just a minute. But River finishes up with a 6-4 and four record with their 56-13 win over Frontier. For River, Austin Kramer had three touchdown runs, 14 carries, 159 yards. For Frontier, Tanner Bills had 12 grabs for 154 yards and two scores. The turnovers were abundant in this game. Frontier turned it over four times. River turned it over three times. Turnovers probably aided in some ways by wet weather were a theme of the night in the area last week. But River stays home. They earn the number 7 seed, and they will host Monroe Central. So River and Monroe Central for the second time this season. And Monroe Central comes in with a 4-5 and five record. And if you're thinking, gee, these two teams have probably met before this year, haven't they? Well, you'd be right about that. Friday, September 3rd, it was River defeating Monroe Central 48-26 to in Woodsfield. So now it's Monroe Central returning the trip. So Frontier falls to 5-3 and three on the season. The regular season comes to an end with that loss to the River Pilots. And now they will go on the road is a number nine seed against five and four Caldwell. Caldwell's the eight, and so Frontier will face a Caldwell team that defeated Shenandoah seven nothing last week. They did just enough to get the win. Because of that, they'll earn the home game and they'll host the Frontier Cougars. So again, I think this is a plus in the expanded Ohio playoffs. Is look at the matchups you're getting really close to home right here early on. River and Monroe Central for a second time. Frontier and Caldwell. One of these matchups is a regular season rematch. One of them is not. So I think that's kind of neat to see a team like. Frontier and a team like Caldwell who don't play each other in the regular season, square off in the postseason. But here you've got two more games of intense local interest in this area because these are schools that trod many of the same paths. Seems like so often in Ohio, these regions are so big that you see someone like maybe Bishop Rosecrans out of Zanesville come up in a first-round matchup, or even Connaughton Valley, or even Trimble, or Eastern that's from a distance away. Those are all playoff schools, by the way. But it's nice to see if you're going to expand the playoffs, you're going to get some schools within this region in there. This is a region that, say you only take eight, if it's previous years, you'd had Waterford at six, River at seven, Caldwell at eight. You wouldn't have had Frontier, you wouldn't have Monroe Central. A lot more local schools, a lot more schools in the region get in, and they happen to be playing each other. So I like the move to 16 teams per region. I think it's going to lead to some competitive football games, maybe even some mid-seed, mid-matchup upsets. Maybe one of these regions has a 12 over a 5, an 11 over a 6, or a 10 over a 7. So a lot of these teams can prove they do belong on the football field, and that's kind of a cool byproduct 
product of all of this. But again, River at home against Monroe Central Frontier on the road at Caldwell this week in the playoffs. Those are Saturday games, by the way, because Division 7's games are all on Saturdays. Those are Saturday night games. River hosting Monroe Central and Caldwell hosting Frontier. Back to West Virginia, Parkersburg High School saved their season with a 31-7 win over Riverside, and they were able to use Bryson Singer at quarterback again. He was 8 of 17, throwing the football for 65 yards and a touchdown to Carter King. King was hurt and believed lost for the season in the Huntington game at the start of the year. Came back, hauled in a touchdown pass from Bryson Singer, so that allowed Singer a little bit more time under center, which is always good to see him. That's where they wanted to use him. He had two touchdown runs for the Big Reds. Unfortunately, Singer had three interceptions. Both of these teams had three picks in the ball game. So again, turnover is not unusual last week in the region. Singer ran 17 times for 136 yards, so he accounted for over 200 total yards of offense, but a spark for the Big Reds. They get Carter King back. That allows them to use Singer more as a quarterback, and they get a 31-7 win over Riverside to save their season. St. Mary's rolls over South Harrison, 41-6. Big night for Josh Rouch, 16 carries, 132 yards, and three touchdowns. Third straight win for St. Mary's. They've now won four of the last five after a 1-2 start to the season. Ritchie County went to 7-1 with a 40-7 win over Wirt County in a game that I think a lot of people thought was going to be a little closer than this, myself included. Wirt County has shown some signs of life this year in making playoff runs. They're a playoff team last year, but I think they just ran out of gas and sputtered to the finish line this year, or are sputtering to the finish line. Meanwhile, Ritchie County is starting to flex their muscles a little bit and show some new players. Brandon Riddle, 126 yards on 20 carries. That's new territory for him, two touchdowns. Marlon Moore had two carries for 30 yards, but they both went to the house. Both touchdowns for Marlon Moore, and they got a 60-yard kick return touchdown from Bruce Moyer. All told, a 40-7 win for Ritchie County over Wirt County. And now the Rebels, they'll face Gilmer County this week. They haven't lost since the Doddridge County matchup early in the season. So Ritchie County passes the first of two remaining tests on the schedule. The other will be Gilmer County. Again, as we said earlier, we're going to talk to Ritchie County head coach Rick Hott later in the program. Williamstown fell 41-9 to to Fort Fry. The loss on the field, not the biggest loss of the night. The Yellow Jackets lost Max Malesa. The quarterback hurt on the second offensive play of the game, landed on his back after a hit out of bounds, as described in the Parkersburg News and Sentinel, taken off the field on a stretcher. Scary scene there. After that, the Williamstown defense forced a safety, so they led 2 nothing, but without Melissa, struggled some on offense. They turned it over three times, but Fort Fry turned it over four times. So again, everyone knew Fort Fry was a really good team, and this outcome, the score 41-9, that's not the shocking part, but the part that's unfortunate and the part that stuns you a little bit, as it always would stun you when you lose a key player, but it definitely stuns you the way it happened, is knowing that Max Melissa left on a stretch. The good news here is that I visited with Williamstown head coach Chris Beck earlier this week, and as a result was in their building. I passed Max Melissa in the hallway. He's walking. That's good to know. As far as his football playing status, he will be a game-time decision. But the very, very good news is that he's walking around and he's A-OK and living life normally right now. But his football status for Friday will be decided around game time. Tyler routed Magnolia 49-7. The Silver Knights go to 5-3 and on the season. They've won five of their last six. They'll face Valley this week. And then next week, it's that big matchup with St. Mary's that could decide a playoff spot for the winner. Cabell Midland routed Parkersburg South 70-21. Cabell Midland had 628 rushing yards, almost double the previous high that Parkersburg South had allowed. That was 376 the week before against Morgantown. So if you add those numbers up, South has allowed over 1,000 yards on the ground in the last two weeks. That's not pretty. Cabell Midland was spotted a 21-0 lead. Parkersburg South fell behind 21-0 early, got a score. Cabell Midland answered that, got a two-point conversion. So down 29-7, South got a touchdown, went for an onside kick, got the ball, got another touchdown to pull to within 29-21, but that was as close as they would get as Cabell Midland would go on to score the game's next 41 points.
points. South turned the ball over three times, so a sloppy night on a rainy night for Parkersburg South as the Patriots fall 70-21. to They've lost back-to-back games and come into this week at 3-4 and with a tough run on the road against Wheeling Park. Marietta ended their season with a 20-0 win over Warren. The Tigers finish up at 4-6, and and for the Warriors, you have to think they're a little disappointed to go to 3-7. and Tyler Gerber threw two touchdown passes. One of them was to Zane Whittakin. Whittakin also ran for a score, so how about some credit and a shout-out to Jason Chubb's Marietta Tigers. They won three straight at one point this year. After going down 0-2, they went to 3-2. and Had a tough spot in the middle of their season, but they figured some things out, and they finish up at 4-6 and with a win over Warren, finishing on a bright note. That is uh, good news for the Marietta Tigers. And Bridgeport defeated Payton City 50-8. to The good news is for Payton City, they continue to stay on the field, continue to have the numbers and the bodies to be able to play games and finish the season. And though you want to win, though winning is always a goal, for Payton City, after playing just two games in a pandemic-shortened 2020, I think staying on the field and finishing the season is going to be goal number one for this program. And so far, they're accomplishing that. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Let's go between the hash marks and take a look at these big matchups in Class A. The Williamstown Yellow Jackets face the Dodridge County Bulldogs. Dodridge County number one for the last couple weeks in the Metro News Power Rankings. Williamstown always a top contender in Class A. Their only two losses are to Ohio schools, Waterford at the start of the season and Fort Fry last week. In between, they'd won six games in a row. Earlier this week, I caught up with head coach Chris Beck. Here's what he had to say about his quarterback, Max Melissa, and his condition and what the Yellow Jackets are going forward. First things first, let's talk about some of the notable injuries you have on this team. Max Melissa knocked out early in the game against Fort Fry, and you've been without Trevor Oates. What are the progressions of those guys? Trevor's done for the year. He had surgery last week, ended up being more severe than we thought. I hate that for him. That's a guy that's a senior that Lost half his junior year of COVID. Had a phenomenal year when he was there. This year, he's having a great year. And then, you know, it's a non-contact injury against the second quarter. He was just running. I mean, no contact. You can see his knee buckle. So he's done for the year. Uh, Max, you know, that was a scary situation Friday night, but he's progressing really well. He'll be a game-time decision. But one bit of bad news, Trevor is out for the year. But good news, uh, Max's uh, injury wasn't nearly as severe as we thought it was, so he's in pretty good shape here. As a human being, walking around and functioning okay, you know, football aside. Yeah, yeah, football aside, he's he's doing good. I mean, uh, you just saw him. He's, he's here. He's walking, doing well, getting treatment. We'll see how he progresses and see how he feels later in the week and then make a decision what's best for Max and what's best for the team. You pleased with how Colt Heston stepped in and played? Yeah, Colt is a good quarterback. Like I said that all in preseason. A tough kid to be put in a situation he was um, where, you know, Max is getting the majority of the reps, going against the best team we'll play. You know, that's a team that's probably going to win their region in Ohio and be right there at the end. I thought he showed a lot of toughness. Did a good job for the most part. Uh, quarterback competitions kind of get frowned upon sometimes, but is this the value in having that kind of a battle? You know, having a kid that's at least been there in, in August and sweated <laughs> things out a little bit and, and for a lot of the season has had that mentality being a quarterback. Yeah, I think it, it, it paid you Huge dividends for Friday. It's paying dividends as we aren't sure about Max. I mean, Colt was 50-50 clear going into the Waterford game. So he's got a lot more reps than maybe a prototypical backup quarterback may have. He started four or five games JV at quarterback last year. He's played some quarterback, obviously, leading into this year in scrimmages. And even a series or two against Waterford, he played. Colt's a competitor. He's tough. So if it ends up being he ends up being the guy, we have every confidence he's going to get the job done. Looking at Doddridge this week, is this one of those matchups that you've had circled for a while? No, I mean, to be honest, we haven't. Folks may not believe that, but 
with our schedule, with the way this season's played out, we go week to week. And, that, and that's the God's honest truth. Sometimes you may look ahead and do things, even in August and June, July, when you went through three weeks. For us, we, we usually, I mean, everybody gets ready for the first opponent a little bit, but you know about them. We get ready for our first couple, but, and that's about it. For us, we haven't had it circled now that it's here to obviously a huge game than on one team in the state, and that's SAC rankings and the Metro News rankings. Very physical ball club, and we just hope we can uh, put our best foot forward Friday, get better, get healthy. This is another one of those games that gets us ready for the playoffs. You go back-to-back weeks against really physical teams. I mean, nobody's more physical for Fry, but Dodgers are pretty dang physical too. So back-to-back weeks against really good teams. See how our kids can respond and focus. How do you balance getting the work in that you need to get versus staying healthy? Because, again, the depth is starting to wear a little thin. We went to Mustang University in late July. We had 35 kids. and We ended Friday night's game with 24 healthy bodies due to various issues be it COVID, season and injuries. I mean, you can go down a laundry list of reasons. So for us, number one deal is getting healthy for Friday. So does that mean maybe we scale back some things in practice likely, which I don't like to do and we haven't done to this point. But at a certain point when you're in Class A, I mean, uh, a lot of folks say, oh, you lose Trevor, you lose your starting tailback. Yeah, but he's also one of our best linebackers, if not our best linebacker. If you look at Max and his situation, same deal. If you look at uh, some of the other injuries we've lost, you're usually not just losing that guy on one side of the ball. Mm-hmm. You're losing on both. And if it's a really good player like a Trevor, you're losing one of your top two players on both sides of the ball. So it, it makes it tough. But to this point, I think our guys have responded well to injuries. Uh, when Trevor went down, we kind of struggled in that game. We're able to bounce back the next week, get guys to fill in. Max went down against Fort Fry. Our guys responded, competed harder. Now we'll look to, hey, what's it look like this week? What's Max look like? And uh, see how we respond. What do you see from Doddridge County looking at their film? Very physical team. Very physical. uh, Very well coached. Very good defensively. When people watch Fort Fry, they see the motion, the misdirection, and you're like, oh, man. Dodgers, you're not going to see that. They're going to line up and run at you. But don't take simple for not being smart and effective because they're very good at what they do, very smart in the matchups they create, and they do a really good job. So I see a team that if they run off tackle, ISO left, and it works, you're going to see it the next two or three plays. You're going to back to back to back. They're really going to challenge you and your toughness. Uh, then defensively, very aggressive. Same thing, very physical, very well coached, very well prepared for what you do. I and mean, they're ranked number one for a reason. So uh, it doesn't get easier for us. And, you know, that's kind of been the motto all year to get through that game. You got to move on to the next one because you got another big one waiting. And that's our mindset this week. We know we got a, a, a big challenge Friday night against a very, very good team. We're going to do our best to get ready and put our best foot forward and see what happens. What do you have to take away from the Bulldogs? I think you got to take away the run game, personally. I don't think that's anything that Coach Burton side would say that you don't want to take away first. Easier said than done. They don't do a lot of misdirection. They just run straight ahead a lot, which doesn't create a lot of opportunities for negative plays. One thing that's always unique about them, most tailbacks are six to seven yards deep. There's like four, four and a half yards deep. I mean, very close to line of scrimmage and they get downhill. It makes it really challenging to stop the run game. And they're very content getting their three or four yards and going to the next play. They're very content shortening the game. So for us, you know, we got to try to limit the run game, try to get some negative plays getting behind the chains and if we could do that maybe we have a chance to get a stop that's williamstown head coach chris beck the yellow jackets take on the Doddridge county bulldogs in a game that will decide a lot 
about the pecking order in Class A as we go toward the playoffs. Also, Ritchie County will face the aerial attack of the Gilmer County Titans. Gilmer County is led by quarterback Ian Hamrick. They put up a lot of points. They can throw the ball all over the place. Ritchie County, meanwhile, comes in with a 7-1 record after their 40-7 win last week against Work County. Holding Work County to 7 points might be the biggest accomplishment for a defense that has allowed 20 or more to 4 of their 8 opponents this year. Earlier this week, I caught up with Ritchie County head coach Rick Hott. We talked about that defense. We talked about how his offense is managing to put points on the board, and we talked about the challenges they'll face against this Gilmer County quarterback. Coach, looking at last week's performance against a Work County team you matched up with in the playoffs last year, were you surprised that that game wasn't any closer than it was? I could argue that it was a close game. It's 14 nothing at halftime. Right. I have a lot of respect for Ward's program and Coach Heckman, and, and our games usually always are really, really tight. They graduated a lot of kids and going through different issues this year, but I thought he had a good game plan against us, and uh, we were really slow in the first half, and then we were able to get some things going in the second half. So looking back on the game, it was senior night for us. I've got a large group of parents who've been really kind of tight-knit, and I think there were a lot of emotions going on. I think that may have spilled over, and, and so I, you know, I, I think that affected us somewhat. Like I say, second half, it was just about playing football, and we kind of opened things up. But I will say, you know, we've given up some points this year, and the last two or three weeks, we've been spending a lot of time in practice. We're just fundamentally working defensively and stuff, and we did know that watching work, they were going to come out in the power eye, which we struggled with against Doddridge. We struggled with against South Harrison, and so we emphasized that this week, and, and I was really proud of our kids of really stepping up and kind of taking word out of that that offense. So that, that was a, a good step forward for us, I thought. What kind of playoff prep is it to see a good running back in a good running game like that this late in the season? Each week's a test, and I, and I thought, you know, I thought we passed that test Friday night. We had stepped up on the defensive side of the ball. Jumping into this week, it's a completely different type of test because, you know, Gilmer County throws the ball extremely well. Well, throws the ball better than anybody that we've faced all year, and so that, that's a different kind of challenge. Preparing for the playoffs, things that you need to work on. So last week we needed to kind of shore up the run game on the defense, and this week it's we're really emphasizing the passing attack defense. In what ways are you able to shore up the run game as, as far as this tackling goes, pursuit? We worked hard. Uh, well, <laughs> we put more people in the box and schemed that way, but we, we did. We spent a lot of time with our linebackers on angles and getting to the spots that they needed to do. And I think we just worked on a more disciplined approach of making sure defensively each person was where they belonged and making sure they were doing what they were supposed to be when they are there. And, and those are the things that we could notice on film that we were just not doing a good job. It seems like early in your season, or maybe this Coach McCollum might just say this is the offensive guy in me, is that we spend an excessive amount of time on your offense because it takes timing and just so many things has to come in sync with a group of kids before you can be good. And so, you know, early in the season, focus hard on that. And maybe defense took a back seat because it's not like we can have defense on one end and offense on the other. We're sharing the same kids. So you're either doing one or the other. And so uh, we've kind of just transitioned over to where we put more emphasis on the defense. And, and I think we're starting to see results of that. Well, looking at the offense, you are developing some more threats to go around Gus Morris and he had a couple big games in the last month but then you got 100 plus yards out of Brandon Riddle on the ground this week. Austin Bartlett had a touchdown catch in that game. You've had some other guys step up and so you've got multiple players that can be threats. And what has it meant to this team to see the maturation of so many different players on the offensive side of the ball? In ways, we have more threats than I thought we could develop. Not that I didn't think that they were capable. I just didn't know if they would all emerge like they did. And been really pleased with the ability to get the ball spread out. Some people may look at it 
guys, uh, Gus Morris is not having a good year. Well, it's not that Gus Morris is not having a good year. It's one that defenses are really focusing on him. And we knew for us to have a good season, we was going to have to develop some other people. And I said, I think you're starting to see the results of that. Brandon Riddle, I think, is having an excellent year. And the system that we've got as a running back is, is, a, is a real threat. It's allowed us, uh, I think, Gus is more natural somewhere on the wing, somewhere outside. And we're finding ways to get him the ball. Austin Bartlett is, is a good-looking target whose hands have developed much quicker than, than what we had hoped for. We think that really puts more pressure on defenses. And the person that maybe people's forgotten about is early in the season, Marlon Moore was leading us in receptions. And then um, injured in the Ravenswood game, cut his thumb bad. And so he set out two weeks waiting for that. And so he kind of disappeared from us for a couple weeks and then come back in the work game and he had two touchdowns. On two carries. Yes, on two carries. And it's also in his own right, a good receiver. We do like where we are with, with options on the offensive side of the ball right now. How do you get a defense shifted from, all right, stop the run one week to a complete 180 and what you'll see with Gilmer County this week? It's just based on the stuff that we're practicing, the, the stuff that we did last week and we're not doing this week. And so the linebackers last week, we were really working hard on angles and filling gaps and things like that. And now it's all hook zones and flats and things like that and, and just being able to cover. It's like teaching geometry and then 30 minutes later you're going to trade. Yeah, it's, yeah, we, yeah, we've changed classes <laughs> and it's like that. So it's, it's completely different, of course, trying to get them into what we think puts us in the best position against their passing attack. But, you know, really impressed with their passing attack and Ian Hamrick's ability to scramble around and, and make plays either with his legs or with his arm. If worse comes to worse and you have to beat them in a shootout, does it give you confidence to know you can do that? I think it could be a shootout. We've talked amongst ourselves of do our kids know that we are so good at being able to score and score quickly, defense takes a back seat because yeah, if you give up a score, we're going to score again. Coaches don't think that way, and, and we I think that's dangerous. And so I think we got two schools like that. Both are very good at scoring the ball, but have been known to give up some points. So I, it very well could be a shootout Friday night. This could be a low-scoring game, could be a shootout. You never know what to see. And, and sometimes when you think there's going to be a shootout, then then, then both defenses step up and, and, and it's like that. I think it's good for especially the spectator this week that we're playing over there because I know our field last Friday night was a little greasy. And so I thought that limited, I'm sure both sides, but I know it limited us offensively because of the footing. So this week we're on turf. And so people that come out to see the game should see the best of two very good offenses. What is your pass rush going to be able to have for Ian Hamrick? I like my guys. I think both of our defensive ends are very physical and have very good speed. And so I think they're going to have to figure out how to kind of slow them coming off the edge. And our tackles both are very athletic too. And for us to be able to try to contain him, those four guys have to kind of stay in their alleys and, and, and they've got to kind of be able to get to him. But those four will be awful important to, to how well we can handle Gilmer's offense this week. That's Ritchie County head coach Rick Hott. The Rebels take on the Gilmer County Titans tonight in a game you can hear on 92.3 WXCR and online at WXCR.com. Also, if you have the TuneIn app, you can find it there on your mobile device as well. Tara Malone, our Metro News correspondent, stops by to talk about those games. I know he's got some other things on his mind this week, the games of the week in the area. So, Taryn, what do you got for us this week? Hey, Eric, this week I'm going to share my thoughts on some local LKC matchups in the area this weekend. First and foremost, we have a pair of games that really stick out to you this week, specifically with number one, Doddridge County at number nine, Williamstown, and number four, Ritchie County at number seven, Gilmer County. We have the Ohio playoffs taking place this weekend. Some local notable games include River and Monroe Central and Frontier and Caldwell as well. We'll get to those games in just a few moments, but I want to share my thoughts with the LKC matchup 
matchups this week. Both games were on to discussion for me to cover this Friday. I chose Doddridge and Williamstown just because a win either way will impact the class single A playoff picture in terms of home field advantage and who would draw the straw, if you will, against a team that nobody would want to face in the single A playoffs, Wheeling Central Catholic. With the injuries with both Trevor Oates and I believe here recently Maxwell Melissa, it makes you think who's the next man to step right up in the leadership role for the Yellow Jackets. We did speak with Coach Chris Beck. He said the decision for Melissa to play on Friday will be a game-time decision. For Doddridge County, they're coming off an impressive lopsided victory over Class AA Roan County. 44-16 was the final score from last Friday night. I'll have photos and highlights from this week's game between Doddridge and Williamstown Friday evening at WVMetroNews.com. Also, the other well-anticipated matchup between Ritchie County and Gilmer County. This game is just like Doddridge and Williamstown when it comes to terms of implications that will be on the line. Ritchie fresh off of a win over Work County 40-7. Meanwhile, Gilmer narrowly got past Tucker County 26-20. Looking ahead to the Ohio playoffs, some notable matchups include Frontier Caldwell and River and Monroe Central. I feel Frontier and Caldwell matchup could go either way. You could flip a coin and see who wins that one. Meanwhile, River and Monroe Central... That game could be very intense. Four and five Monroe Central is coming off a one-point loss to perennial power Shadyside, Ohio, which is currently sitting at eight and one. Meanwhile, River last week finished with a convincing 56-13 win over Frontier, and they currently sit at six and four. Both teams will clash for the second time this season. The first contest went into the favor of the River Pilots as they worked their way past the Seminoles in week number three with a score of 48-26. to a pair of really good matchups from the LKC will arrive on Friday evening for the local games of the week, Doddridge County at Williamstown and Ritchie County at Gilmer County. Also, many statewide games of the week, including the following. 9-0 Martinsburg taking on 6-2 Spring Valley. The Mohawk Bowl between 4-4 Morgantown and 8-0 University. A game that has been changed in the locations here recently. 7-0 Polka at Herbert Hoover. This game will now be played at West Virginia State University. And then also, the rematch continues between Trinity and Cameron part two Trinity six and one they take on eight and oh Cameron and then finally statewide game of the week it's in class single a as the five and three St. Mary's Blue Devils travel to seven and one East Hardy that was a preview for this week's slate of games and a look at our games of the week in Morgantown I'm Taryn Malone for Metro News Eric back to you thank you Taryn always fun when it gets to this time of the year the games take on that extra meaning and we knew looking about a month out that this weekend was going to be chock full of big matchups and chock full full of huge games, and it certainly has not disappointed. I know a couple of these matchups have lost just a little bit of luster, but there's a couple games that have actually gained some luster and gained some importance, so we'll see. A lot remains to be seen about how this season will close out. Seven Rangers Radio has a busy slate this week. St. Mary's is on the road at East Hardy. That is an 8 o'clock kickoff from Baker, West Virginia's East Hardy High School. So as a result, our coverage begins at 6 with a 90-minute edition of Countdown to Kickoff. And a special treat for you, the St. Mary's Blue Devil golf team just won their third straight state championship under head coach Katie Hamilton. I talked to Coach Hamilton and the four players from that state championship team coming up this week. That's Brandon Lahan, Preston Lahan, Grant Barnhart, and Braden Hall. Looking forward to that conversation and looking forward to having that for you. B96-9 has Parkersburg South against Wheeling Park in a game South must have if they want to stay alive in the playoff conversation this season. PHS's season continues. They're 3-5 and five as they host George Washington on senior night, hoping for some of that stadium field magic to put the Big Reds back in the playoff race. And Ritchie County is on the road at Gilmer in really their last true test before the playoffs come. The last team that really has a shot to hang with the Rebels until the postseason comes. My games of the week in the area, the ones I'm most paying attention to and most interested in. How about the Ohio playoff 
games in this region. Frontier and Caldwell, River and Monroe Central. River and Monroe Central is a longtime rivalry. Frontier and Caldwell, two teams that have played in the past, don't play right now, but that's the beauty of the playoffs. You get teams that are from not all that far away that don't play. Well, here they are, and with some stakes on the line. And then River and Monroe Central, that's a rematch of a game River won in the regular season. Doddridge County and Williamstown. I want to know what that tells us about the Class A pecking order. I don't know that it's going to tell us as much as it would have if Maxwell and Melissa were healthy, but we're going to find out where Williamstown is now and where they might be going into the playoffs. And Ritchie County and Gilmer County. I want to see how Ritchie County comes out of this game more than anything else. Uh, I do think the Rebels are probably going to win this game. However, I want to see how they look in it. Do they hold Gilmer County in check? Do they have to outscore Gilmer County? Is this another shootout like what we saw with Wahama? Or are they able to play some defense, get some stops, and get some points on the board at the same time? Is this Ritchie team hitting on all cylinders? Are they clicking as we get into the postseason? And again, all the games on our stations are good games this week. There's not a single one of these games that I wouldn't be interested in keeping an eye on, and I'll definitely have my eye on the ones that I'm not broadcasting this week. Before we go, here's one thing that needs to happen pretty quickly and needs to happen probably by the end of the weekend. There are a number of games in this state involving teams that were not able to play in one week or another because of COVID-19, and those are games that right now are pending as postponed. The SSAC is going to have to step in and make a ruling, whether it's setting a drop-dead date for makeups and saying that games cannot be made up either past this date or can't be scheduled past this date, and they can't be set to play past a certain date. So that way we know what team's true records happen to be and when games will be made up and if games will be made up that have an impact on the standings. There are a number of games in the area, Doddridge and Gilmer being one of those, Parkersburg South and Bridgeport, that have some bearing on the standings in their respective classifications. We talked about Parkersburg South and Bridgeport a little bit last week, but for Parkersburg South, if they can play that game and get an upset win over Bridgeport, that would be a huge shot in the arm for their playoff hopes. Bridgeport right now doesn't have a lot of incentive to make that game happen, therefore it probably won't be made up. So in the SSAC standings this week, Parkersburg South is listed at 3-4 and four and on the outside looking into the playoffs, when in reality it's probably a little worse than that for the Patriots. They're probably realistically 3-5 and five and needing to win their last two games to even get close to postseason contention. And then Doddridge and Gilmer, that's a huge mess atop of Class A and a lot of shuffling that will happen if that game happens. And, and is it a forfeit one way the other. I know that a lot of teams still have games pending with the hopes that maybe they can make a game up and take a no contest somewhere else on their schedule and get a game in that might get them playoff points or improve their playoff situations. Like anything else, teams are trying to figure out how the rules can help benefit them. And that's not cheating the system. That's just trying to figure out how the rules are there to your advantage. In a situation like COVID, you wouldn't think people would look that way, but that's human nature. We're kind of looking to see how we can make things help us and how we can make sure a changing landscape doesn't hurt us at the very least. So as far as the area teams are concerned, I've heard from a number of coaches this week saying, what are they going to do there? I think it would be best if somebody from the SSAC either before Friday's games or after Friday's games, makes some kind of a statement on clarifying the end of the season. Earlier this year, Bernie Dolan, the executive director of the WVSSAC, went on high school game night with Fred Persinger and Dave Jacklin to share about the rule requiring teams to play eight games to be playoff eligible this year. And they've done similar things in the past. So it seems like high school game night might be a popular place for the SSAC to go. It wouldn't surprise me if there is a representative from that organization on high school game night this week. Again, that's something I don't know. I'm not privy to 
that information, but it wouldn't surprise me if that happens. And honestly, it needs to probably happen. Somebody needs to step up and clarify when is the deadline to get these games in. Maybe make up an FAQ for the playoffs because you have a lot of unique situations that are out there, a lot of games that would have a big bearing on postseason seedings. Those are still pending. I think we need some clarification going forward. Uh, If not for the fan, if not for the media member, the teams need clarification and deserve clarification on really where they're going to be and how good their chances are for the playoffs. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. New episodes come each Wednesday. You can download those on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us as well, and it comes right to your inbox. you probably get a notification that lets you know, hey, new episode, new content, fresh stuff. Go listen. Next week is the final regular season week in West Virginia. We'll go ahead and run down the playoff picture for you and maybe even have some projections and set you up the storylines leading into that. And it's also the week after the first week of the Ohio playoffs. So how did the local teams fare? Well, come back next week and we'll have the whole rundown for you. Thank you for joining us this week. I want to thank our coaches for stopping by. Chris Beck of the Williamstown Yellow Jackets and Rick Hott of the Ritchie County Rebels. Also want to thank Taron Malone as always, our Metro News correspondent. I don't thank Taron enough for the work that he does. I don't thank him enough on the air at least. I, I, I don't even thank him enough in person for what he does. His contributions to the pod this year have been fantastic. I always enjoy hearing his perspective, hearing his insights. He travels the state a little bit more than I'm able to do and see more teams than I'm able to see during the season. He always has that 1,000 mile high view of what's going on in the landscape of West Virginia high school football. So thank you to the coaches, and thank you to Taryn Malone for your contributions, and thank you for the download and the listen each week and the support you provide the show. My name is Eric Little. Thank you for joining us once again this week. I'll talk to you next week for another edition of the show, and until then, have a great week, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening.